this podcast now boasts its own Patreon page. Become a patron and join us in being a node to help spread awareness and hope. Details at patreon.com slash having a cuppa. Hello again, folks, and welcome if you've just tuned in. It's time for another edition of Having a Cuppa. Recorded in the mountain valley and within the confines of the cathedral, the Ministry of Sound. My guest today is a wonderful man who's proven himself a monumental multi-hyphenate in the entertainment industry today. He sprang onto the scene as one of the world's most deftest, edgiest, and plus also cleanest stand-up comedians, taking number one position at the Hollywood Improv and remaining a mainstay in both comedy clubs and plus also conference centers alike with his sharp and edgy brand of clean humor, mirroring that of Jerry Seinfeld. But don't think that his talents exclusively avail themselves to just making your funny bones ache. He's also an extremely valuable character actor, exploding on both big screen and small screen alike. Since the 2010s, his talents has seen itself lent to the independent market, focusing more on the faith based audiences. Titles like Surrender and Let the Lion Roar may spring out to some, but his most prominent portrayal of these is the lacerating portrait of a heartsick police officer finding redemption, which may come in the form of a rookie police officer he's assigned to in the 2010 drama The Grace Card. Here's a snippet. No. I didn't want you to carry that burden back. He wants you to be rid of that pain. I don't deserve to be out of pain. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. God help me. I'm so sorry. You are forgiven. You hear me, Mac? You are forgiven because you asked for it. I don't want him to die, Sam. I want my little boy to die. I'll give anything. Please pray. Will you please pray? I don't want my boy to die. In this interview, Michael covers it all, his beginnings in stand-up comedy, and plus also his trick through the confines of Hollywood and a whole lot more. Michael Joyner joins me for a round. Be prepared. Five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. This is Having a Cuppa. Get ready for the show. A cup of your finest brew, thanks, love. Cheers, you're a gem. (sighs) Round and round we go, where we stop. Nobody knows. Best get to it then.
My name is Chris Snell. I've been involved in the media industry for almost 10 years. But what interests me most is the triumph of the human spirit. So off I go to parts unknown. This is The Journey. will lead us to the truths of the heart, taking us to destinations far and wide. From the US, the neighbours to the north, the UK, and everywhere else in the fray. Join me, sit back for the ride. Good tidings we bring. We're having a cuppa. Michael Joyner, the man, the myth, the legend. Welcome to having a cup of my kind, sir. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. With that intro, I was expecting someone else to show up. <laughs> Who do you think? <laughs> I was waiting for someone with my name to walk in. <laughs> I thought, oh, he's got another guy. Thanks for that very kind intro. I appreciate it. It's only a pleasure. Now, the common question I'm sure you must have heard many times before is, you know, I had a stand-up comedian on my podcast before. I hope you'll know the name, at least by reputation, Frank King. Um, and I asked him, how is it exactly that you would come to telling jokes full-time as a profession? Yeah, and that, his name does sound very familiar. I have There's so many Christian comics out now. Uh, there's mm. several I know personally, of course, like Nazareth, Scott Wood, Ramsey. Brad Stein. You know, but uh, I'm going to have to look him up because I know I know who he is. But is it, so is that your question to me? Yeah. Yeah. How did it, more or less did you get start going as a stand up comedian? Well, in 88, I was living in Hollywood, California, 86 to 88 mm. uh, as a uh, confused and backslidden Christian. And then I gave my life to the Lord, felt him leading me to come back home to Indiana. Mm. And I uh, started going to the Vineyard Church there where I was a, the drummer for their worship band. And I, I've i always been known as a cut-up, Chris. And in school, that got me in trouble all the time. <laughs> uh, I still saved all my report cards. My mom did. And I look at them for fun once in a while. And you know how you're not really my age. But back in the day, the teacher would give you the grades and then they would write a little note to sum things up. Mm. Mine always started with, Michael is such a sweet little boy. However, um, 
he needs to learn to be quiet and not say everything that's on his mind. And little do they know that now I have a career not being quiet, saying everything that's on my mind. But that's okay. They were right. <laughs> but so back so back to 1988, I'm going to the vineyard and my youth pastor knows me as a cut up because I'm doing a lot of theater in the local Valparaiso Community Theater. Most of them are comedies. So he knows that I'm a uh, funny guy. And so they have a talent show and he begs me to do comedy and I didn't want to. I said, no, I don't want to do stand up. And he begged me and begged me and I finally did it. And it's funny how God has a way of making you um, very much of leading you into your calling. Because when I got those laughs, nothing could pull me away from continuing to pursue stand up mm -hmm. comedy. So I got in touch with um, there was a magazine that came out monthly called CM CMM Christian Music Magazine. Mm -hmm. There was a there was a regular cartoon by a cartoonist named Rick Baldwin called Out of Tune about a punk rock Christian band. He was also a comedian. Oh, so okay. I got in touch with Rick and he uh, mentored me for the, my first few years. And uh, from there, you know, I just started doing it full time and uh, became, you know, an actor as well. Well, that leads in perfectly to my next question. You know, it's interesting to look at the environment in entertainment. You can agree with me that entertainment, or let me rephrase rather, the profession entertainer has become diverse. Not one person can be just a stand-up comedian. They're a stand-up comedian, they're a radio host, they're a talk show host, and they're an actor. So the term has become quite diversified. But... As I'm led to understand, you did photo doubling for Bruce Willis on the TV show Moonlighting. Yeah, that was my first real interesting thing with God and answer to prayer. I uh, I was working as an extra in Hollywood before I was married, and um, there there came an opportunity where they said they're they're looking for a new a new photo double for the show Moonlighting for with Bruce Willis. That was his first pilot where he got discovered for all his movies mm. and I had always been told I look like him a little bit or resemble him and I went into this audition and there were so many people who looked so much more like Bruce Willis <laughs> I was uh, but the thing is you don't have to look like him from the front if you're a photo double for an actor you just have to look like him from behind <laughs> and, yeah and far away <laughs> so I really felt God tell me that was the first time I felt God really speak to me and say, you're going to get this. And so I, I went to the audition and they cast me as the uh, stand in, which is nowhere near as glorifying as the photo double. You're not even on camera. You're just going through the movements that the actor is going to go through before each scene for the sake of the blocking. And when they cast me as that, I, I was confused. I said, Lord, I know you told me I was going to get this. Mm. So I go there and I go to I, I report to my first day. I go there and I'm in the makeup room and the girl is doing my hair and makeup for the stand in. And she 
she says, my goodness, you are absolutely perfect for Bruce Willis's photo double. I'm going to tell them to switch you guys up. And she did. And I, sure enough, I got the job as Bruce Willis's photo double and had my first lesson and always trusting God. <laughs> if he says something, he's going to do it. So what really happened from that, that was cool. Also, I was a, you know, I was totally on fire as a Christian. They gave me a little, uh, on the Paramount studios, I believe lot. They gave me my own little trailer and I was, uh, witnessing to everybody I could. And, um, Sybil Shepard's bodyguard came up to me and said, Hey man, I heard you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. So we start, started hanging out Holy and it was a really nice experience it was good money uh but soon after i felt god calling me to go back home as a matter of fact i asked bruce willis himself i said look i want to be a serious actor what do you recommend and he said wherever you can do theater do, start with doing theater of course so i went home to indiana and it just so happened valparaiso community theater was voted the number one community theater in the world oh yes so I started learning there and uh, eventually got married and moved my family back to Hollywood. You trained with Sel Landy as well, right? Including John, St uh, John Swanbeck. Oh, yeah. Two great, incredible. You know, and, and if you've noticed my uh, every once in a while, I will post something about the importance of studying your craft as an actor. You know, it's funny. And I'm talking mostly about faith based movies. If we start a Christian band, we don't allow people with no experience to play keyboard, guitar, bass, or sing. Naturally. Or anything we else. If we started a business and let's say we're mechanics, we're car mechanics, you can't expect someone to come up and say, I have no experience. Can I still work here? But for some reason, faith based movies, they say, okay, I'll direct the pastor. <laughs> I've never directed ever, but I'm going to direct. And then you can play this person, even though you've never. And it, it, it's it drives me nuts. So I my one pet peeve about a lot of faith based films. And I say a lot because many of them are coming around like The Chosen and so on. Very much. But I say, look, study your crap, man, because it shows you it think does. people are. Sometimes they say, well, people don't like our movies because it's Christian. No, they don't like your movies because they're sermons and nothing else. It's not uh, a story. There's no acting going on, real acting. There's no, you know, excellence in the script writing. So, because um, when I went out there, I couldn't wait to show them how incredible I was and nobody was impressed. They, in fact, I spit out most of the stuff I thought I knew about acting. And then when I started learning the real techniques and exercises that the Oscar winners were using, sure. my eyes were open and I said, wow, there truly is a lot to this. Very much. And I have to give you this accolade and I know I can surmise that you're not a person who lives for kudos, but whenever I see you on the screen, let's talk a little bit of technique and little bit of business industry lingo. I'm a trained actor myself. Oh, good. I trained here in South Africa. And in fact, one of my teachers trained at the Neighborhood Playhouse in Los Angeles. Um, this was after Sanford Meisner had passed away. Wow. And, um, but what I have loved about it, 
And I'm sure this was also in your teachings with John, because I read a post about this once that you put up on Twitter. Even if you are, let's say, a support player, a second lead or a character actor, that's redundant. You agree? But yes. there are certain moments in the story where you as not necessarily number one, but you as number two, you help build that bridge and you cross yes. it with number one. And even that can stand out better than what the lead does. And I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking to get into your good graces. This is my experience as well. I've done theater where the lead guy absolutely stunk. But it was me that had shone out and I helped the story go forward. Right. And there's power in that. But as you quite rightly say, you need to read what's on the page, 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 and read what's on the page. There's a thousand ways of saying, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? All that boils down to technique. And it's like any other muscle, it needs to be exercised. You know what? You hit it right. It needs to be exercised. And John, who who advanced my acting ability more than any teacher out there. By the way, his book is called "How to Steal the Lead." How to steal the role? How to steal the scene and end up playing the lead? <laughs> That's the name of his book. Now, I can get so much into that, but he has exercises that you that he has you do. 20 minutes a day they are so simple but they're so profound i have tried to teach some people these exercises the ones who learn it go on to do really excellent things sometimes very quickly others said this makes no sense it's almost like a karate kid technique mm -hmm. it's like it'll make sense when you read it and others have dropped out and there's been others where i said please don't come back sure you're not an actor. I saw somebody drop after three because there's some people who really want the fame and they don't or they want that. They don't they, they disguise it under the, under the guise of I'm going to make a Christian movie with all the money I've saved up. Well, yeah. I don't believe God's called everybody to make Christian movies. There is a person who hopefully won't recognize himself or maybe he should who who he quit my class. Yeah. Uh, because he wasn't doing any of that homework. And uh, he kept giving me this, but that's the way I would say it. I said, it has nothing to do with that. I'm trying to make you cinematic, interesting. John's biggest thing also, another thing he says is 100 people audition, 99 get it right, one makes it interesting. The person who makes it interesting gets it. This person went on to direct and write his own films that go straight to the dollar tree bin, okay? <laughs> no, they really do. Uh, and they- uh, I'm laughing in agreement with you because I had a similar experience myself quite recently. Oh my gosh. It's annoying. It really is. So so John gives us 20 techniques that we practice 20 minutes a day. And I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll tell you this. This is bragging on John's technique. I can now take any script you give me, any scene, any sides and pretty much without even knowing a thing about it because of some of his techniques read it very close to exactly the way or at least very acceptable the first time without and you know this is i don't know what technique you learned but one thing they all agree 
one thing they all agree is don't overthink it, get out of your head. And that's because John has taught me things that don't allow me to, remember Brando wanted to look at his lines that day and no sooner, oftentimes. He had them written. He often didn't know what he was about to say. Uh, that's maybe a little extreme, but sure. one, one story that John told me that I never forgot was about Pavarotti. Uh, Pavarotti was uh, going into his acting class in England or wherever, mm -hmm. and there was a little boy that got there early and said, can I watch him? And they said, yeah, but stand over here and don't bother him. Well, he watched Pavarotti practice. All he did for 20 minutes was do re mi fa so <laughs> i love it and john's biggest thing is don't shoot for brilliance because it's the simplicity that gets people these incredible performances new actors who don't study always think they're so they're overthinking they in in their mind they're really clever but in reality, you're giving a terrible performance. They're in their head, they're overthinking it, they're trying to be complex, when in fact, simplicity is key. And um, the first thing I learned was conversational is dramatic. Very, like he what we're doing. Things. Yeah, what we're doing. And then you've seen actors who will talk to you and talk to you. I remember one casting director that I went on an audition for, he had this great technique before I started studying with John, uh, he said, I, I went and I auditioned and then he said, hold on, Michael, stop. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you have a family? How many kids do you have? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, action. And then I realized as I talked for, you know, he wanted to keep that real honest conversation feeling going into the audition. And I was amazed at what that did for me. So, you know, there's lots, and, and you already know this stuff, but. But that is what I learned in my Meisner training. Yeah. Learning how to act in a given situation in imaginary circumstances. Don't concoct it in your head, okay? Con concocting to a certain degree dependent on certain various criteria can be helpful, but it's jarring. Sometimes that magic if is so vital and it happens yeah. unconsciously. And you know what, Mr. Joyner, I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm always transparent. I have done acting, but my primary source of income here in South Africa has been radio. The uh, entertainment medium is very, very small in comparison to the United States. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, the best content comes out when I'm not thinking about it. Sure, on radio, I've got my pre-prepped content, yada, yada, yada. But I type it out and then I forget about it. And when I go on air, hello, how are you? That, all that razzmatazz and I start talking about a bread, bread and butter topic. All of a sudden, these things come up. And it makes the experience far more better. I believe you've learned the secret of staying out of your head. Don't over, don't try, don't have no preconceived idea, right? No, none whatsoever. Hey, can I test you with a with a Meissner phrase and see if you know it? Please. One of my favorite Meissner phrases. I'm going to start it, see if you finish it. An ounce of behavior is worth... Oh, D, geez. <laughs> I've been out of the acting game too long. That's no, okay. You, you've caught me out. 
You're going to hit yourself in the head as soon as I say it. An ounce of behavior is worth a pound of words. <laughs> show, do, show, don't tell, correct? Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. That's okay. Hey, I read his book like five times before I, and I still have it. Well, uh, you know what? Here. As we were preparing this podcast, and I didn't do it to to get into your good graces. I really want you to train me because I, I feel that at a certain point, I'm going to leave the microphone and uh, concentrate in front of the camera. But now here's a tricky question, and you're an opinionated person. Do you think in both stand-up and drama, is it a skill that anyone can learn, or do you think it's an innate talent? No, I think it always, uh, here's the thing. It starts with talent, but you can let it sit dormant if you don't uh, develop your talent just like anything else in the world. So yeah, that's why we have people. Let me tell you something. Marlon Brando didn't study harder than others. He studied, but he had a level of talent that was, I think God said, I'm going to give him something special. And do you know what, Chris? I think I finally figured out what that special thing is, which made me quit trying to learn to be, to, to know his secrets. And it came when Sean Penn told a story about how when Marlon Brando was, a few years before he died, he went to visit him and he went in his room where he was laying in bed. It was dark. And when he entered, Marlon Brando pointed to his gym shoe and said, you have a spot on your gym shoe right there. And he said, how in the world did he see that? And I realized right there, Marlon Brando sees things mm. that other people don't see and you can't learn to see them. It's just a gift. So Very it nice. starts with talent and that talent could go to certain levels. But I also believe, here's another thing I've learned, Chris, uh, uh, comedy wise. I used to say, why are, is that comedian book so much? He's not that funny. Well, they learned that it's a business and they are great at the business end. I have to agree with you there because I've been in this business for 10 years and all the best gigs that I've gotten that I've paid have come through my own marketing. I've right. marketed myself, banged on the doors, and I haven't been pushy. I would just say, my name is such and such. If you're ever looking for an entertainer, please read my portfolio, my numbers on it. Give me a call. And then you continually do that. And folks, if you're listening to this podcast, please listen to me when I say this. We have social media now. Market yourself every day. Find a niche in which you can market yourself and keep on. And when you get a no, it brings you ever so more close to a yes. Michael said, 100 try, 99 get it wrong, one makes it interesting. Or help me write again there, Mike, please. No, that's right. 99 get it right, but one makes it interesting. So the universal formula is always the same. Try, try, and try again. Yes, failures are going to be Im imminent. I can tell you volumes. I mean, Michael, here's a good story for you. When I sure. began in community theater, I was doing radio and theater at the same time. You know, when you're starting out in the business, you need to start building up a resume. This was pre-pandemic, of course. And I just did an audition. I was fresh out of drama school. And I did a, gave a very clunky audition, I must add. But something just said to the casting directors, give me a try. And I was contracted for three plays. 
I got one, but two other never made it. And was I crestfallen? Yes, I was young, I was stupid. But ultimately, you learn how to build your armor. But ultimately as well, it can be disconcerting if you don't get gigs, because Michael, you can agree with me. Sorry, Mr. Joyny, you're, uh, I'm a lot younger than you are. Um, <laughs> no, I mean it. With regards to exercising your muscle, you need to keep your muscle well-oiled and well uh, and well spun. Sure, there are continuous classes that you can consistently uh, train with, or you can uh, train with Michael Joyner, who has valuable street cred with regards to movies and that. But ultimately, you just have to keep on trying because you will find a place to work and your instrument will get better. It's just a fact of timing meets opportunity. And once you have it, I believe firmly, uh, you won't abuse it, I think. You'll learn to be more grateful and your technique will get better and you'll learn a whole array of life lessons because that's been my experience up until this point. I mean, how else would I have the opportunity to meet a legend? You know, Kirsten, you're, you, you're always reminding me of these sayings that, uh, by the way, I, a great book that I encourage everyone to read is called An Enemy Called Average. An Enemy Called Average. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. I mean, I read, I think it has 52 things, one for every week. Just very simple things about persistence and so on. And, um, but you just hit on something is you attract what you're ready for. Mm. Um, I, I teach I'm people. I'm a firm who, in that. Yeah. I teach people and sometimes I say, are you doing your exercises? And I tell them, look, I know you're in a little town in Mississippi. Um, and it's not as inspiring as being in L.A. where I, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and do my exercises because anything could happen. And by the way, there I, I went on 12 auditions a week at one time after two years of zero auditions. But um, you attract what you're ready for. And that's that's a faith thing, too. Uh, Very much. I've learned as a Christian, God doesn't move and then you move. You move and then God moves. Absolutely. Okay, so move toward that thing you want practice be ready and i've had comedy gigs where i didn't take feel that like first step in faith right yeah take that first step in faith move move toward what you want and uh, and i uh, you know i'm still learning that i wish i'd had a father uh, i grew up with no dad uh, and I a stepdad that wasn't worth much but i same. i wish i'd had a father that would have taught me some of that stuff uh when i was younger I, i'm glad i'm uh I have the opportunity to learn it now, but opportunity is there. And, Absolutely. And uh, you know, you, you gotta go. You gotta be ready for what you're. You gotta. You attract what you are ready for. Well, I have to share with you, Mr. Joiner. Um, as we were preparing for this, you know, God has a funny way of talking to people. Well, talking to me specifically. <laughs> you can speak in a still small voice. Yeah. You can speak in a dream or you can use people and circumstances around you. Mm -hmm. And consistently, even during the course of my radio career, I've had people come up to me and they say to me, you're meant for something more. Then of course, you know, when you have your head stuck firmly up your rectum, you think, yeah, right, thank <laughs> you so much. But having been sober now for the last three years, 
You know, I'm starting to really pay attention to that spiritual side in me. I'm a born again Christian myself. I'm not a perfect Christian, nor do I want to be. I'm just a continuous work in progress. And um, the last year, especially, people said to me, you don't belong in this country. I'm from South Africa. You belong overseas. And one day, just last week, I ran into a producer who produced a lot of good local films in South Africa, which were box office successes. He pulls me aside and he says to me, listen, I need you to listen to me very carefully. I've listened to your radio work. You bury your colleagues in spades, but you're meant for something more. And I'm telling you right now, you need to try your hand in America because in this country, entertainment is dead and you're going to go around gray templed completely miserable because you didn't try you have to Mm. do this and i thought if that's not a sign from god i don't know what is but it was a recurring segment leading up until that point where i finally decided you know what i don't care how long it takes but i'm gonna go do it come hell or high water uh that's good i'm glad to hear you say that uh and i've been like that too where even as a backslidden Christian, God spoke to me very clearly about uh, uh, stuff. I realize now that's where he wanted me. But um, and, you know, <laughs> what you just said almost reminds me of that joke, which teaches a good lesson about the person who was drowning and they prayed for God to help them. You know, the joke I'm talking about. <laughs> Please tell and us they, about the <laughs> And then they said and they sent a helicopter that, and they said, no, I don't need your help. God's coming to save me. A ship came and. And, and he said, don't worry, God's coming to save me and so on and so forth. And finally he dies and goes to heaven. He said, well, Lord, what happened? I thought you were going to save me. And God said, I sent a helicopter. I sent a ship. <laughs> <laughs> well, that reminds me of something, my dear sir. I've watched your comedy special that you did. I think it was at Bananas. Dry Bar. Dry Bar. Dry Bar. Yeah. Bananas. In fact, Frank, who we spoke of earlier, has done Dry Bar. Okay. Uh, but you did an Antonio Panderas impersonation. And I'm here to tell you, my good sir, that I can do a better Antonio Panderas than what you can. <laughs> you know what? I Here's what's funny, Chris. I have to change that because people don't. I think I'm going to change it to uh, who's that actor? Uh, that's Javier Bardem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because when I wrote the joke, Antonio Banderas, can you actually do an impression, though? Antonio. Yeah. You're told, correct. Hmm, but for this, I charge a great deal of money. I die. He's got an incredibly crazy movie coming out. I just watched the trailer. Is where it? he makes fun of himself a little bit. Well, I mean, he's always been self-deprecating and he doesn't take himself oh, yeah. seriously. But kind of in a Nicolas Cage sort of way. Have you seen his new movie? Yeah, I have. Oh, it's crazy. Wackadoo. It's crazy. What a great concept. But anyway, the joke, <laughs> the yeah. joke is, uh, just needs a Spanish name that people can recognize. I, as a matter of fact, I haven't done that joke in so long. Um, I think it goes, uh, you might've watched my bananas. Cause I don't know if I did that on dry bar. I say, I went to the movies and I saw a movie with, uh, Antonio Banderas, Rebecca De Mornay. And uh, here's my impersonation of every person in the audience watching Antonio Banderas in a movie. What'd he say? 
<laughs> what do you say? <laughs> At one point in the movie, Rebecca De Mornay says to him, and he says, "We can't take the kids with us if we're not going to Katmandole, Jose." Even she turned the audience and goes, "What do you say?" <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a good story for you uh, with regards to what did he say? Do you remember Lionel Stander from Heart to Heart? Yeah, I do. Wow, that's an old one. Very much. Uh, yeah. His very last production that he did before he passed away was the Transformers movie, the animated one written by Ron Friedman in 1986. Controversial because they killed off the prime character. Um, wow. Transformers, uh, not Transformers Man, what's the name? Uh, Optimus Prime. Okay. So in any event, they're busy recording for this film and Lionel, who had aged visibly at the time, he was in his 80s, started wearing hearing aids. He could hear everyone clearly, but when the director tried to give him direction, all of a sudden he became deaf. Now they're in the studio. It's Lionel Stander, Neil Ross, Jack Angel, and believe it or not, Orson Welles. Oh my gosh. And uh, the late Wally Burr is in the director's booth who had the disposition of a, uh, who was a director with a disposition of a shark in need of a root canal. And he says, all right, Lionel, I appreciate your take, but you need to tell the people, or you need to create the idea that you don't know, but they don't know, and he wants you to know. Da, 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 da. All right, Lionel, take two. And Lionel Stander looks at Neil and he goes, what did he say? <laughs> Neil goes, say it louder. The Decepticons are coming. All right, Lionel, that's great. Let's move on. And I love those stories. I love oh, that I know. in between stories. And I have to say, you know what? You have to be born to this business because it can eat you up and chew, oh, yeah. chew through and spit you out. Oh yeah. But if you are born for this, you can't stop thinking about it. You always end up situations in situations reminiscent about performance and you meet people all these factors, I think, are used by God to tell you, listen, you need to keep going. So you have no other choice, but go for it. And that's the mindset where I am in now. I can't see myself doing anything else. I've tried. I've tried television producing. <laughs> plight on my name. Yeah. This is what I'm born for. So I'd rather look after what I have now continuously try and try and try and somewhere I will get it right because I have nothing else to lose. What do I have? Either a victory or a lesson. We never fail. First action in learning. Right. The Grace Card. Truly one of the best films. How did you score that role? Oh, that, that was an absolute miracle. You know, it was right when I, you know, I went to Hollywood in 2001 and to uh, pursue my dream would move my family there. Mm -hmm. And I was making a living as a comedian, but I was studying, finally got an agent after a year and a half and started going on auditions. Things were looking up. And then in 2008, the economy went kaput. Oh, yeah. And we had to move back. Yeah, we had to move back to Kansas City and I'm, I felt God ripped that desire, that career right out of my heart. But then when I got home, I started getting this feeling. I told my wife, I said, God's going to do something right here in Kansas City. Now, I had developed a 
nice acting reel from my experience in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, unbeknownst to me, the folks from the Grace Car were look. Someone had told them about me, and they were looking for the lead role for this movie. This book, this this script was written by Howard Klausner, who wrote Space Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, about two and a half months after we came back home, I uh, got a call from the producer director saying, we have a faith-based movie. We'd like you to look at the script for possibly the lead role. Now, I, up to that point, had not seen too many faith-based movies that I was interested in because some of them were so low budget and so bad production quality. I said, well, I kind of played it. I didn't think much of it. I said, yeah, send me the script. I'll take a look at it. And I looked at it, and man, it was from the get-go, very powerful, very touching. One of the best movies. Yeah. I knew I could play this role. I felt maybe this was what God was going to do. So I said, Lord, I'm going to give them my price because I know these faith-based films are often low budget. I I said, if they they can't pay me, I'm not doing it. Mm. I gave them my price. They said, okay. Didn't even audition. And uh, next thing you know, we get Louis Gossett Jr., Oh, man. Talk there. about a scene stealer. Oh, yeah. So, and then next thing you know, they're, they're saying we're going to theaters. Even before we had uh, finished it, it, it created a buzz. So, went to theaters. As you know, a first-time filmmaker, director, David Evans, it's for someone to go to theaters. But we went to theaters, got great reviews, and from there I went on to uh, land about I'd say 12 more roles in faith-based films mostly, but mm. uh, not always, you know, some of them were just independent. So sure. I've, I've managed to make living from, from here in Kansas City, and uh, I didn't have to go back to crazy Hollywood, so <laughs> I was kind of happy with the way things worked out. Well, you know what? Just an observation. I, I meant it lightheartedly that you played a scary racist. You play a, a dad who's not henpecked. He's heartbitten because he loses his son. And he ultimately is prejudiced when he gets a new partner. And uh, the new partner ultimately is also a pastor, played by Michael Higginbottom. And yeah. takes you on a life-changing journey. And I must tell you, I, didn't, I never even knew that you were a comedian. Because you played that role so convincingly. And then my last question, because you played that role as equally as convincingly. Now, Mr. Johnny, I have to tell you, I was looking for this film for years. I'm not lying to you. For years. I went to every evangelical bookstore in Southern Africa, um, CUM, book chain. And I asked them, where can I find broken faith? And then one fine day on Memorial Day, here I see it. And man, I wasn't disappointed. You and Vanessa all blew me away. Tell us just lastly oh, about uh, uh, Broken Faith. Yeah, uh, that was another one that was kind of cool. I was After I'd done a few films and started getting known in faith-based circles because of the Grace Card um, performance, I uh, Vanessa and I became friends because we were both working in, in you know, faith-based films became mm-hmm. Facebook friends. And so she gets this role of this daughter of this girl in the movie, The Bro- Broken Faith. And she says, hey, I'm filming in Missouri. Do you live near the Ozarks? We can go have coffee. I said, oh, I don't, Vanessa. I'm about two and a half hours away from there, but have good luck with your 
your movie. And so I looked it up just for the heck of it. And I thought, you know, I wonder if they got any roles available. So I contacted them and they said, man, we just, we didn't know you lived in Kansas City. We just cast the lead role, but we're going to put that guy somewhere else. <laughs> so they, uh, they cast me immediately and the guy had, a, he had a good, uh, he had a good heart about it. He played uh. one of the guys that I ended up killing actually. But um, the, I love the tagline to this movie. It, it, if you look at the trailer, it's very, it looks like a Hollywood movie. A lot of me beating up a lot of people and stuff. Mm. And at the end, it says faith-based films will never be. No, it says Christian films will never be the same. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, and, you, you rocked it. You rocked it. And what I like about this yeah, well, thank is you. It I pays, appreciate that. It pays respects to a cause that I'm passionate in because I had a father who served in the military. And uh, my favorite scene is that part where your friend who initially betrays you rescues you from Rodney Wiseman. And eventually, when uh, the chips are down, he asks you, do you still get nightmares? And you respond, no. And as he's carted off, you give him that salute and it really just sends chills up my spine. Mr. Joyner. Oh, good. I'm glad to see it affected you like that. Well, you know what, sir? Believe it or not, I'm affected by American values. We spoke about this earlier. America has influenced me as a person, even though that you and I are geographically apart. I owe everything to America for what it has taught me life-wise and skills-wise. And with that, Mr. Joyner, thank you so much for appearing on this show. And if no one says it, which is a lie, because I'm sure everyone does, you're the comedian's comedian, and I wish you nothing show of the best, sir. Keep in touch. Thank you, sir. I can't wait to hear the... Uh, w let me know when you post it. I'm going to share it and everything, okay? Oh, of course, of course. Thank you, sir. Nothing but the bless. Cheers, eh? So it is here where we have to make a pit stop. But don't fret, we'll be back soon. In the meantime, tell your friends, join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and Podcast One. Until we see you again, this was Having a Cuppa for the Week. See you soon.